Hi and welcome back to the wilderness. We really are doing it this week, not any odd bits of Romans that I've forgotten. And this week I want to look at a fairly brief passage in Exodus 15 verses 22 to 27. And uh, although it's a fairly simple and straightforward story, we're going to see that it's a kind of prototype for quite a lot of the other incidents which follow. I'm not going to talk about the first half of Exodus 15. It's basically a psalm of praise to God um, once they get safely across the Red Sea. And no doubt it's recorded here and used liturgically in the further worship of the community. But what's interesting about that, and I, I will just nod in this direction... Um, as we said last week, the main thing that God is praised for is not so much the deliverance of Israel, but and more the destruction of Egypt. And so like a pair of brackets round the outside uh, of this passage, you get that kind of refrain, the horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. And I tried to address some of the politically incorrectness of that last week so I'm going to tiptoe past it here merely noting it uh, but I do want to have a look at verses 22 to 27 it's a story of two places and what goes on there and two very different places they are so the people leave the shore of the Red Sea and set off into the desert. They've been going for three days and they've run out of water. Uh, I think medics say that's just about the limit of what people can go without in terms of uh, water. So they're, they're really on the line there. And then in the distance suddenly they see an oasis. They could probably see the palm trees they may have seen uh, the glistening water and you can imagine them running towards this pool of water and bending down to drink and and suddenly bleh, ah, it's horrible it's bitter it's rank and their hopes are dashed they got really excited that this was going to be the water they needed but on top of that, they're now in very real danger for their lives. There's very little worse, I think, than dashed hopes. All through my career, I've had one ambition, and that is that I've wanted to teach liturgy at a theological college. And at one stage in particular... I was headhunted, I was interviewed, I was the only candidate being interviewed and I was appointed to the job and I cannot tell you how wonderful that felt at last. Something that I've had as an ambition for 20 odd years was going to happen, my dream was coming true. And then one day out the blue I got a phone call and it actually came about three or four weeks into a course of radiotherapy for cancer. So I was already uh, very, very low. 
and uh, I got a phone call saying that the institution involved had uncovered a huge financial crisis and uh, having appointed me they had no option but to disappoint me because uh, they they simply couldn't afford to take me on and with one phone call my dream of 20 odd years was just snatched away just like that maybe you've experienced those kind of dashed hopes and broken promises as well where you can imagine what it felt like for Israel it's not just about having a nice job snatched away it's the very basic of what they needed to stay alive and suddenly it wasn't there so it's not surprising then that they turn on Moses and we're going to see that again and again as they journey through the desert. This account here actually, as I said, is a kind of prototype and it's quite mild compared to what we've got to see coming. The people grumbled, what are we going to drink? And you know, there's a sense in which that's a very good question in that situation. So, so what is Moses going to do about it? And he, of course, has got no more idea than they have. So he cries out to God. Let's just note that for now, because we're going to see that and reflect on it in the future in this series. And the narrator tells the story very simply. God shows Moses a bit of wood, presumably tells him to chuck it in the water, and suddenly the bitterness turns to sweetness. And I'm sure that the people are very, very grateful. But it's not enough for God to save their lives. He wants to teach them from this incident. And there's some interesting words follow. He issues a ruling and an instruction, but also tests them. Um, like a good further education teacher, God tells them what he wants to tell them, but then says there will be an assignment at the end of it. There will be a test of whether you've learned this or not. So listen carefully to God. Do what he tells you. Keep his commands and decrees. Then you'll be saved from the diseases as the Egyptians weren't. There's that uh, motif again about Egypt. That may refer back to the plagues. That, that kind of made sense because when the Egyptians died in the Red Sea, it certainly wasn't of an illness that they needed healing from. But it's also, interestingly, anachronistic. They've not yet made it to Mount Sinai. They've not yet received any commands or decrees from God. Uh, and those words definitely are technical terms for the law and that's not been revealed yet but this is a principle which applied at the time of writing and applies generally in all relationships with God there's an interesting phrase there I am the God who heals you 
and uh, there's a dynamic here. I'm not going to, uh, you're not going to get ill if you obey me. But if you do, I'm still a healer. God as the God of second chances. Now, again, let me just say this in brackets because it is important. It is not the case the Bible does not teach that all illness is as a result of disobedience. There are such things, even though they didn't know it at the time, there are such things as bacteria and viruses, and sometimes people just get ill. But the point here is that God the healer is the God of second chances. And if you do obey me, and if you do take the consequences, there's always the chance of turning round and of restoration. Well, I, I guess you'd think that Israel would learn from that lesson. They It must have felt that they'd been brought to within an inch of their lives. And they've seen again, as they had in the Red Sea a few days earlier, a God who can work miracles to save them. And a leader so in touch with God that he knows what to do to avert disaster. And then they've got this promise from God himself that he will save them if they only live in obedience to him. Well, uh, as we say when we watch Casualty each week, what could possibly go wrong? Three days into the journey, they've seen God and Moses in action. Surely they get it now. Well, we're going to see just how much they don't get it. But that's for later. And having moved on from that place called Mara, which is a Hebrew word meaning bitter, they now come to a new place called Elim, 12 springs of water, presumably just in case one of them goes wrong, there's 11 backups, 70 palm trees for shelter. It's an absolutely idyllic scene and it's a time to be refreshed after the physical and emotional journey they've been on. And I guess it's easy to see that that physical setting, that oasis in the desert, is obviously a picture of the life God wants for them. And so we'll leave them there to enjoy it all before we see the next incident on the way next time. But before I stop, let's just reflect, shall we, for a moment on what that simple straightforward passage might say to us uh, it speaks i think to dashed hopes it speaks to fear for the future when life's resources have run out uh, as is for many people tragically a very real danger of that happening under so many current government policies it speaks of the way a relationship with God works, it, it subverts once again, and you'll be sick of me banging on about this, but that, that totally non-biblical idea of God's unconditional love. 
He loves you, but he wants you to love him back and to show that with obedience. But it also holds out for us that lovely picture of rest, ease, respite from the hardships of the journey. And of course the New Testament uh, takes up that picture of rest and ease to refer to heaven when our life here is done and our work is over and we can rest forever in the presence of God. I don't know what you most need to hear from this passage but my prayer as always is that God will speak to you by his spirit what you need to hear most right now that he'll minister for healing into disappointments and fears and bring you to a place of respite and rest.